MSW Media. Donald Trump keeps making erratic comments, and he started a trade war with China. What impact has Trump had on the economy? Let's get on topic. Welcome to On Topic, a weekly in-depth look at a topic that helps us understand the week's news. My name's Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a CNN legal analyst. And I'm joined by my friend Patty Vasquez, the host of The Patty Vasquez Show, who joins us regularly on this podcast. So, Patty, I have to say, um, this week has been absolutely insane, and it's making me wonder um, what it's going to take uh, for Republicans to ever speak out and say anything about this guy. Well, which which one? I, because I, but I've been saying this for I think we have been saying this for a couple of years. Well, when he was running, look for me, the line was when he made fun of a reporter with a disability. Right? For other people, it was the very beginning when he said that Mexico doesn't send their very best; they only send their drug dealers and their rapists. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there is no there's no line, Renato. I don't even. It's there is nothing he can say or do. He even said it himself. I could shoot someone in the face, and people will still love me. Do you remember when he said that? He said. People still vote for me if I shot someone on Fifth Avenue. I think, yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I got to say, um, it is interesting to me because there's, I have, you know, many Republican friends who, you know, are, I've always thought were very intelligent people who twist themselves in knots trying to explain some of these comments. And I, I don't really think there is a way to explain some of this stuff. It's erratic. And putting aside, look, I obviously have significant policy disagreements with Donald Trump. Putting all that aside for the moment, you have to think, you know, the rest of the world looks to the United States as sort of we're a stable trading partner. We provide a lot of economic and political and military, you know, leadership around the world in terms of tackling larger problems. You've got to think now that other countries are looking at the United States as an unreliable partner, given that we have somebody who appears to be erratic uh, is the president of the United States. I kind of hope that they look at it as a hostage situation. <laughs> You know, is that how you look at it, Patty? I do. I, you know, when, you, when you're watching a movie, like let's say The Negotiator, which maybe not the best uh, okay. with uh, Samuel Jackson and, uh, and other people that people don't like anymore. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, when, you, when you're going to go in, just take out the bad guys. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, not the rest? But the rest of us are innocent. Uh, not the rest of us. But no, but going back to that, you know, people who still support Donald Trump, regardless of what he says, they don't just turn themselves into pretzels trying to explain it. They'll just write it off entirely and say, oh, it's just theater. I don't necessarily like what he says either, but they like his policies, which even then I don't get. But I've asked people this many times, anybody who supports Donald Trump, just say it. Say it's worth it. Say that the abhorrent things that he says are worth everything that you wanted to accomplish, whether it was mm-hmm. the Supreme Court or it was rolling back EPA policies or every everything else that we, that you and I, I think, would stand behind as far as making good choices when it comes to level-headed Supreme Court justices or pro- protecting our environment or just having a civil conversation when it comes to humanity. What I think is interesting to me is, you know, I'll see people who – like I said, seem like accomplished uh, people who have achieved something in their fields and are serious, try to at least put, 
put themselves out as serious people cheering because they're like, oh, you know, this is going to trigger the libs or this is going to make somebody yeah. angry. And it's like this is the president of the United States making statements that are sort of off the wall. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, having him, for example, at the G7 this week, with, you know, sit out of a session on climate change, be the only leader not present, and then claim it's because he had bilats, which are essentially one-on-ones with Germany and the UK, um, who are both there, like, or those leaders were actually in the meeting, so you couldn't, th- that was actually a false statement. Um, you know, it's very, it's it, it's just embarrassing, I think. It's embarrassing, but he also, there's a danger to a lot of what he does. You know, I was at a... Uh, I was at an event where Congresswoman Janczakowski was talking about how, you know, some of these rallies he has should be considered homeland security threats because he is ginning up hatred. The, you know, again, I go back to this. Just if you support President Trump, just say it. Say it's worth the misogyny. It's worth the racism. And it's worth 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 the violence that we have experienced with people who have this deep seated hatred for people of color, for women. You know, with, we have these shootings in El Paso where this guy went all the way down there specifically to shoot mestizos. I'm a mestizo. If, if you mm-hmm. use that, uh, you know, somebody who is of mixed race, of mm-hmm. Hispanic ancestry, right? So I would have been someone he was targeting because of the kind of language that the president uses. Yeah, I, you know, he also is is sort of fostered um, a following amongst these Q people uh, who are kind of these conspiracy theorist types who've been appearing at a lot of his uh, rallies and so forth. And the FBI views these people as sort of extremists, and uh, they're appearing in a lot of Trump rallies. He's done nothing to sort of denounce any of that. I mean, he feeds in a lot of times to conspiracy theories, whether it's about Jeffrey Epstein or other things. I, I, to me, uh, to me, um, a lot of this is just, uh, to me, there should be a bipartisan denunciation of some of this and that's that's really what's what's disturbing to me and i know what we're talking about today which is you know what a lot of people say is that well look at my 401k right it was worth it i love what my 401k looks like today well you know is it will it take a downturn in the economy will it take your 401k taking a hit that then then you're like oh well now that's a problem but not everything else that was despicable before that well we'll see i mean right now he's having a very significant impact on the economy we have a trade war with china that 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 imposes real costs particularly on farmers um in the united states yeah. and it's interesting because rural voters really are what carried donald trump to victory a lot of them obviously still support him very strongly they are and they are paying the price for these tariffs and this trade war with china that's a very large market um, that generally buys a lot of goods. Now, I understand we buy more of their goods, but still it's a, it's a very large world market. A trade war, a lot of economists will say we'll talk to a very good one uh, later in this in the podcast. They, they will tell you that this ultimately imposes a cost on consumers, but it also imposes a cost, for example, on farmers. So, right. you know, Trump, I don't think, can afford an economy that goes down south before the election, and he seems to be doing what he can to encourage that. So, so let's bring in our guest. Uh, Austin Goolsby uh, is the former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors. He was a member of President Obama's cabinet. Uh, he's also uh, the Robert Gwynn Professor of Economics at the Chicago Booth uh, School of Business. Very accomplished guy who understands a lot more than uh, Patty and I do about the economy. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Professor Goolsby. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. 
So uh, let, let's just talk uh, before we get into sort of the specifics of what's going on in the Trump presidency. Um, before before Trump, um, presidents took credit for good economies. They often were blamed for bad economies. So whether it's President George W. Bush or Obama or prior presidents, how much does a president really impact uh, the economy generally? <laughs> in the short run, not there's there's not a lot of controls. I used to joke. You know, when the economy was really bad at the at the height of the crisis, that there was not. I went went all through the basement of the White House, where there used to be a swimming pool, all around there, <laughs> and I had yet to find the switch that you found it. You're like, ah, here's what the problem was. They hadn't flipped this switch. Um, so in the short run, we tend to blame presidents when things go wrong. I guess I would disagree a little with the proposition that the presidents usually take credit um, for the economy when it goes well. Sometimes, but normally the, the, uh, the pressures, I guess I call it, go the opposite way. That if you are seen to revel and say, oh, this is great, it invites anybody who's having a hard time to say, well, what mm. about us? You know, what about farmers? What about manufacturing? What about these guys, those guys? Um, so really, mm -hmm. some of the only times that you've seen crowing about the economy, let's call it, are the end of the 1990s and 1984, both of which are moments where the economy we're we're at a spot in the business cycle that's so far above the trend um growth rate that you kind of couldn't help but say oh well this is really amazing and even then they were sheepish about it so people forget when the clinton when clinton ran for re-election in 1996 um a debate broke out internally between should we take credit for the economy or should we say we know the economy is still tough for people, but it was George Bush's fault and we're trying to switch around. And they, they argued about that. And in the end, they came down on the side of, yes, let's say the economy is doing well. But it wasn't – in a way, it wow. should have been obvious based on conditions. And that, in a, in a way – is what's different about Trump right now. Uh, hmm. That the conditions, if you go look at the, at the data, they don't look any, uh, they don't look very much different than, than w what was before he came in. But he's, he's kind of taken this approach of, well, I'm just going to say it's great. And, uh, and up to and including the extreme version say the unemployment rate is a lie and made up and you know when the data say that we're generating lots of jobs that's totally bogus and then literally the month you take office and the number comes out exactly what it was before say look at this amazing economy <laughs> you know and so so we'll see how that plays out one thing that a lot of us lay people hear about is consumer confidence and it's important for consumers to be positive about the economy and spend their money. And if they stop doing that, that's a problem. 
So could could a Trump supporter argue, hey, you know, he's he's doing all of us a favor by keeping everyone excited about the economy. He's actually doing something good. What what, what would you say to that? Maybe. I mean, maybe. Uh, there's a, when the economists, there, there's no question that consumer confidence is correlated with the business cycle. And uh, I, I wrote a thing in the in the New York Times back in March that was about that was at a moment where people were getting in their head, ah, the economy is going great. Um, and we were dealing with government shutdown and we were dealing with one of the earlier rounds of these threatened trade wars. And I observed that every recession we've had um, since we've been keeping track of the data has begun with a big drop in consumer confidence. Um, mm-hmm. And so my and my my admonition, let's call it then, was, hey, let's be a little careful of uh, about overconfidence because recessions can sneak up on you, um, and economists mm-hmm. are not great at even telling when you're in a recession. They usually look back and say, oh, nine months ago there was a recession started. Um, <laughs> but that co- consumer confidence, the argument that the economists have is, is that a symptom or is that a cause? So I, I'm sure that the people that are big uh, President Trump's biggest supporters would say, oh, well, he should go out and trumpet confidence and maybe he can boost confidence. And that is causal and will lead to the, the economy doing better. Maybe. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, 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 it's not it's not obvious that's true. Maybe that's true. I would also highlight the reason that previous presidents didn't do that um, is because if you do that and then the conditions sour, you kind of look like an idiot. And that's true in the stock market, too. You know, to get up and, and virtually every crisis or recession kind of began with the administration coming out and saying, well, you know, the fund, this is a great time to buy stocks and the fundamentals are really good. And then when it goes down, everybody just trots those statements back out. And they're like, this is the same person that said it was a great time to buy stocks in 1929. You know, it's and uh, and so <laughs> so I think that we're, we're going to see how that one plays out. Maybe he's boosting consumer confidence in the longer run. My view has always been and I, and I guess I kind of got it from Paul Volcker, who I I I worked with and studied under basically for the through the Obama administration. His view was ultimately when crisis comes, the only thing you have, the only asset you have is your credibility. And so even if in the short run saying something might seem like it gives you an advantage if it serves to undermine your credibility, you really shouldn't do it. Even if it may, today makes you look a little worse, it, when when everything goes wrong, you're going to wish you hadn't done something to undermine your credibility. And so, the if President Trump's approach is basically just always declare that it's the greatest ever, um, I I wonder what what happens when. It's not the greatest ever, you know, let us hope we do not have a recession in the next year. But if we did have a recession in the next year, um, 
usually we're we're not very forgiving of people who just kind of insist, no, no, it's going great. You're like, no, we're you know the unemployment's starting to rise. Uh, you know the farmers are farm bankruptcies are the highest ever. No, no, it's going great. I I don't know. We'll have to see how that plays out. But but does it seem as though the president cares about credibility? It doesn't. That doesn't seem to be a, a watermark. It yet. doesn't. It doesn't. You know that that is yes. You're you're right. Um, he he changes the normal calculus all the time. It seems like you know he does think he's he's declaring the head of the Fed to be an enemy of the state publicly. You know, so I I don't know. I don't know what his motivations are. My only point is. If the data show in an undeniable way a slowing of the economy, then the president just continuously insisting that the conditions are great and the greatest they have ever been. Um, When you've had these cognitive dissonance, what, what the leaders are saying does not seem to match how people are feeling or what the data are showing. That usually doesn't lead people to change their mind. It usually leads them to turn on the leader and say, you lost Mm -hmm. some credibility. Now, that might not play out the same way this time, but that has certainly played out in the past. Well, let's talk a little bit. You just mentioned a moment ago his comments about the Fed, and and a big part of what we're trying to do here is is educate everybody on 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 some of these issues. And I think it's important for people to understand the import the role that the Fed plays in the economy, and also the way in which they're they're supposed they're constructed to be outside of politics. So the you know the political back and forth. Can you explain to us sort of how unusual those comments are and what impact they could have? Yes. And this is a super important area, and so it's important to, to think this through a little bit. We set up the Fed to be independent, and it has many features that emphasize its independence from politics, like that the, the choice of the Fed chair doesn't take place in election years, or so the new administrations come in. They don't appoint a new Fed chair as soon as they get there. It's not like other uh, agencies. And the reason that we set it up that way, and, and the reason everybody has emphasized Fed independence, is we all know that a political administration would have every incentive to try to do things that long run are bad for the economy in an effort to try to win a short-run election, that that you would want to just have massive interest rate cuts the four months right before the election or have extra stimulus, and if it was going to lead to inflation in the future, you might be willing to make that trade-off um, if you're the if you're the politician. And so we, we set it up deliberately to try to tie the hands of the Fed and just try to get it out of politics. Let's not make the economic determinations based on partisan who do you want to win. Um, and that's widely, that's widely believed, not just in the U.S., where we set it up to be that way, um, but in every advanced economy of the world – Everyone knows that an independence of your central bank is is an important component um, 
of a of a kind of a sane monetary policy that is not just going to have a political business cycle generated um, a- out of those kind of incentives. So then move to the to the what's been happening with President Trump and the Fed. There have been a couple of moments in the last 40 or 50 years in which the White House tried to directly influence monetary policy. Behind the scenes, Lyndon Johnson called the head of the Fed down to his ranch and told him something to the effect of, I'm running for re-election and I want you to, I want you to loosen interest rates. <laughs> and the Fed chair was kind of told him to sit and spin and you know, walked out. And there were moments <laughs> when Paul Volcker was the Fed chair and the Reagan administration not very subtly said this kind of same type of argument, we want you to cut the interest rates, and they began to load the Fed with doves vote to, who would vote against the chair um, mm. and try to loosen monetary policy. So there have been a couple of moments where that happened. But I would, everybody needs to remember, A, we look back at those and say that was not appropriate, and B, they were... They were sheepish about it. They did it in secret. They knew perfectly. They didn't want to <laughs> publicly be seen as I'm lobbying the Fed to do as I to do what <laughs> I want. And so that makes the actions of President Trump totally unlike anything that has ever happened. We have never had the president himself publicly getting up over and over and saying Literally, the Fed chair is a dope, and what the Fed is doing is a terrible mistake, and I want you to to reduce the interest rate. And then culminating in this most recent episode, <laughs> declaring the head of the Fed to be an enemy of the state equal to our biggest geopolitical rival. Who's the, more, who's the bigger enemy of the United <laughs> States? the head of China or the head of the Fed, a guy that Trump himself appointed and who is doing what everyone knew he was going to do. He said, this is my approach to monetary policy. And so I have no idea. Nothing like this has ever happened. And I said publicly, Nothing had ever happened like this in the history of the United States. And somebody, somebody said to me, "Wasn't Alexander Hamilton shot?" You know, so so maybe that was worse. You know, he was a, he was the <laughs> Secretary of the Treasury or whatever, and he, and he was killed in a duel. So okay, fine. <laughs> Except for the assassination of Alexander <laughs> Hamilton by Aaron Burr, nothing like this has ever happened. Um, and it's crazy. It's crazy. And um, the second thing, beyond just being an, an insane violation of of our social norms and not wise on on content grounds to try to eliminate the independence of the Fed. Uh, it's also, ironically, one of the only things pushing back and keeping the Fed from cutting rates more is that they absolutely do not want to feel or look like the president is bossing them mm-hmm. around. So what would have normally huh. been a circumstance where the Fed would look and say, ooh, it looks like the economy might be slowing. We should cut rates. 
there's at least something pushing back that says maybe we shouldn't cut the rates because we don't want it to make it seem like the president going on a tirade against the Fed chair can get us to cut the rates. It's ironic because so essentially his comments may actually have the opposite impact that they that that he intends. Yeah, they might have the opposite impact. I mean, we're going to have to see how this plays out, but they might very well have the opposite impact. Well, another, I would say, very major action that Trump has taken that has had an impact in the economy is this trade war with China. And a lot of people have heard about it. I think certainly the message has gotten out. I know, uh, you know, they talk a lot on cable news about how it's actually consumers or farmers that are paying the price. But I'm not sure that a lot of our listeners uh, understand exactly why it is that a trade war has a negative impact on the economy or why this is a, a, a bad economic strategy. Can you can you explain that for us? Yeah, let's, let's think of it on a couple of levels. On the first and most basic level, how a tariff works is when the product gets to the U.S., they put the tax on the, on the company that imported it, and the, they pass – so it's a tax paid by the consumers of these products. And economists have gone back now and looked at the tariffs that were put in place and asked – how much of those tariffs ended up getting paid by American consumers rather than by the people who were shipping the goods? And the answer is 100% of it has gone into higher prices. So if they put a 10% tariff on steel, the price of steel paid in the U.S. went up by the full 10%. Level one, tariffs are bad because they're a big tax increase on the American people. And the estimates I've seen put it at over $1,000 on average per family in the U.S. They've just paid higher prices um, because of this tax increase. And that exceeds by a fairly significant amount the average benefit that that same family got in the tax cut that the Trump administration passed. So, mm-hmm. so the – on one level, tariffs are just taxes, and putting taxes on American consumers, middle-class consumers and workers, is not a good idea. At a second level, the thing that always makes tariffs uh, problematic is, and is, is especially when you put tariffs on what the economists call intermediate goods, which is supplies and stuff that gets used in other industries. So steel, aluminum, automobile parts, electronic components, a bunch of things that go into U.S. manufactured goods that are being made here, if you put a tariff on their supplies, it's doubly damaging. And you think you're saving jobs in the steel industry when, in fact, the data show there are way more industries in the U.S. that use steel than that produce the steel. Mm. So you end up costing far more jobs than you even think you're saving. And that has definitely played out. You've seen the U.S. automakers, for example, announce thousands of layoffs. And then when they say, why are you laying people off when the economy is supposed to be growing? They say, because our costs are up so much. Um, 
so that's a whole second category of why the tariffs are bad. One is it's a tax on consumers of hundreds of billions of dollars. Two is it harms U.S. industry. You're supposed to be doing this to help manufacturing. It's actually arming manufacturing. Um, and then the third is when you do this, the, it leads the other countries to retaliate. And so you've seen, of course, the Chinese do that. Stop buying uh, soybeans. Stop buying a bunch of stuff. They're going to put. Um, they're going to stop buying uh, Boeing planes and and that sort of thing. And that retaliation makes it worse and leads to the escalation. And what you saw this in this latest dynamic is the Chinese announced the retaliation, and then that leads. President Trump to say, oh, yeah, well, then I'm going to make them three times bigger. I'm going to add even more tariffs. Okay, but of course you know what happens when when they do that. Then they're going to raise their tariffs, and this thing escalates out of control. So I kind of think on all three levels, tariffs are terrible. You know, I don't know if the – I'm not like a language expert that didn't know if terrible and tariff derive from the same Greek word or something, but <laughs> they basically should. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, it seems like really a trade war, it's very hard to stop. It's like a game of chicken. In other words, yes. bo- both neither side wants to, they don't want to lose face, so they're both going to keep escalating. And eventually, at some point, somebody's got to cry uncle. And we did see this week, Trump said, well, I'm willing to have second thoughts or willing to reconsider this, but he hasn't done that. Well, he said that he had second thoughts, and then they said, well, what were his second thoughts? And then, of course, the White House immediately came in and said, well, his only regret is that he didn't raise tariffs even more. It was, <laughs> so it, that, that was not necessarily the success story that we wanted. Um, you're, you're 100% right that the dynamic of trade wars is awful because it's escalation upon escalation. And as that escalates, you know, I'm going to smash your, I'm going to smash your front window. Well, if you smash my front window, I'm going to smash your front window. Well, if you smash my front window, I'm going to go burn down your garage. Well, I'm going to burn down your garage, you know? And so, and then we're left and neither of us have a place to live. Now, it's important to recognize the Chinese, and this is not the first time this has happened. This is like the fifth or eighth or something round of this. And the Chinese were were rather clearly, if you follow these things at all closely, they were obviously saying, we want to find a way to de-escalate this. And of the form, Trump would announce $50 billion, tariffs on $50 billion of goods. The Chinese would say, if you do that, we will have to raise tariffs on $25 billion of goods. And then Trump would say, if you do $25 billion, I'm going to do $100 billion. And the Chinese would say, if you do $100 billion, we're going to do another $30 billion. So they were, they were signaling, we don't want to do this. But they weren't. We were not. We were not buying what they were selling uh, <laughs> with that. Mm-hmm. And the thing that was scariest, and the reason why I think in this last round the market reacted as badly as it did, is the stock market reacted as badly as it did. Is that for the first time the Chinese basically said, "Screw it." 
you know, if you're going to do this thing, we're going to come at you full bore with 75 billion of tariffs. And so it certainly seemed like they had stopped the repeated attempts at de-escalating the de-escalation. Mm-hmm. And then Trump reacted even even more violently and said that he was going to go to th- on 300 billion of goods and effectively with this latest announcement Trump is essentially saying we're going to put a massive tariff on every single thing that's coming here from China and um so I I kind of think if we carry these out then we're off to the races and I don't think you can have a full-blown trade war between the two biggest economies of the world and not have a recession in both of the countries and probably in the whole world. I mean, I just I just mm-hmm. think that's not realistic. And so let us hope that we can find some way to back off of this train before it slams into the other train. But now I don't know. Yeah, but before I thought the president talks a big game, he threatened Europe, then he threatened Germany, then he threatened Canada, then Mexico, then Japan, then Korea, then China. And in each of those cases, they were able to, at the last minute, kind of sort out, no, let's not put in place the big, let's not escalate this thing to full-blown trade war. And usually, they did that with kind of a thin read, you know, like the... In the case of Europe, you remember, he was about to go to trade war with Europe, and then they agreed to seek an agreement to sometime in the future reduce tariffs on everything. <laughs> so in other words, they did, they agreed to nothing. Like, they, they, they didn't agree to anything, and, and then they were allowed that. They said, oh, well, with this breakthrough, we don't have to enact the tariffs. So I have been kind of hopeful slash optimistic or something that they would find a way to do do something similar you know in the case of korea he threatened korea said he wanted to renegotiate korea free trade agreement korea said okay and they renegotiated some minor thing and you never heard from it again it would have to be passed by congress but congress never passed it it just was a way that 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 the president could say like ah look i i negotiated a deal even regardless of whether the deal ever existed or not, it got them off of the trade war. I have been thinking they would be they they would just do something like that with China. Um, now I'm not so sure, you know. And and now he seems to have worn out the full patience of the Chinese government, and the Chinese government's actions seem to have enraged the president and the. Voices of moderation, let's call them, in the administration, most of those voices have left. And the people who remain there are people who are more in the bomb thrower camp, seem to be encouraging the president to do it. So we, we might get the, the very thing that, that, we, that we collectively, the economists, have been saying, whatever happens, let's not do this. That may be exactly the way we're headed. 
Um, Professor, uh, as somebody who got a D in economics, and I, I would say it's because they blended, I would say it's because they combined macro with micro in the same semester, which was just too much to take all at once. Oh, oh I thought you were going to make a snide comment about economists. Uh, you thought no. it was because they're so boring and terrible. No, 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 no. I, I, it was, you know, I wasn't quite sure why guns and butter were uh, related, but yeah, there it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, I I have to ask. Uh, you know, well, one I got a dean economics, and I used to feel bad about that, but uh, now I think, well, at least I didn't break the economy. Um, I, I just have to ask, <laughs> what kind of what's your impression of the lasting impact this might have? Uh, you know, Renato and I were talking before we brought you on about you know what does the rest of the country, the world, I'm sorry, what does the rest of the world think about us? Uh, I like to think, of, I hope that they see us as a being in a hostage situation. But what what will this you know go, mean for us long term? I don't know. God, I mean, I guess partly that depends on is the president reelected and how much they go down this this path of of the not anarchy, but just you know what whatever whatever is whatever institutions exist. Let's just burn them down and and hope for the best. Um, it was a very different context, but certainly when George W. Bush was coming to the end of his administration and in foreign policy was seemed to just be lighting a lot of stuff on fire and, you know, we're fighting wars, we're doing all of these, and our allies are, are tremendously upset with us. When Barack Obama's elected, uh, you know, it's it's almost like our our NATO allies greeted him as a liberator or something. You know, and they they were just thrilled. They seemed to be thrilled to let us never speak of that again. You know, yes, there was a traumatic period, and let us let us now let's move on. Um, maybe that could happen with President Trump, um, but I don't know. You know, on some of these things with economic credibility. They're they're like Warren Buffett's statement about your reputation. You know, it takes takes a lot of time to build, and it takes ten minutes to wreck it. Um, if the world believes that the U.S. is not a credible ally, that its word is not its bond, that they can't be trusted to always and forever, um, let's say, pay back U.S. Treasury bonds or a variety of other things then the long-run damage would be pretty significant. Um, you already saw the me- they, they, they have this annual meeting of all the major central bankers of the world. <clears throat> it takes place in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And you saw the, uh, you saw the outgoing head of the Bank of England, who's, who's a, a respected uh, economist, calling for let's end the let's end the role of the dollar as the reserve currency of the world. Let's try to come up with something else um, because it basically because the U S can't be trusted. uh, If that gains credence, that'd be a huge, that'd be a huge blow um, to the U S economy. Yeah. I, I have to say that's my, my greatest concern from this. I mean, typically I viewed the the president as having a fairly mild role on the economy overall. Maybe they'll get given be given credit by others, but for it. But realistically, they they're a kind of a, a side a side a sideshow. But with Trump, my concern is that 
um, he can hurt our credibility throughout the world. You know, the United States obviously has had a lot of leadership uh, economically and otherwise. That's my biggest concern is sort of the long run impact it has on our relationships, on the stability of sort of the, you know, we, I, I, during the Obama administration, we were working on, you know, a lot like sort of uh, uh, alliances with other Asian countries. That's that seems like that's, uh, you know, that that's, those relationships are weakened. I agree with that. And the thing that I just the thing that I partly don't get is, let's say you something doesn't something doesn't work for me on face value of what the rationale of of what the president and the administration have been saying, which is I fully get that you might say, look, I want a more confrontational approach to China on whatever issues you want, intellectual property, something else. Um, The U.S. has gotten China to change its behavior in the past on pretty big things, one of which being uh, we got them to stop devaluing their currency. You remember, for, for a long time, we were really upset, and U.S. manufacturers upset about Chinese devaluations. And the way we got them to stop devaluing their currency was to go get all our allies and to behind the scenes make specific not requests, but, you know, make our position specific. You must stop behavior A, B and C, or we will collectively punish using X, Y and Z mechanisms. And. They said that that did work. That got them to change their behavior. Um, the approach that the Trump folks seem to be taking is lobbing trade war threats without any specific demands. You know, just saying the Chinese are jerks and have taken advantage of us, and therefore we're going to do, we're going to launch this this trade war, put in these tariffs. Um, but we don't have any allies. We threatened every one of our allies with a trade war before this started, so they're under zero. They don't want to help us. I think it's more likely that China would actually go file a grievance against the U.S. at the World Trade Organization, and that our historic allies, they would invite them to join them in the grievance against the United States. I think it's more likely that our own allies would join China and file a grievance against us than it is that they would join us to try to stop China, which is crazy. I never thought such a thing would would be true, but I think it is. Uh, So I agree with you that the loss of, of credibility with their allies is a big issue. But I also think that that it's it's worth just taking a step back and remembering the reason why this is a bad idea, what we're doing is a bad idea, is because it's charging ourselves. We're punishing ourselves. We're raising taxes on ordinary Americans, making them pay $1,000 a year in higher prices because of these taxes. And we're not getting anything. We are not achieving short-run pain that will lead the Chinese 
to some major Chinese change in behavior that is going to then benefit us thousands of dollars in the future that will make up for the $1,000 a year charge that we're putting on people. We're not accomplishing anything. And, uh, and, and I just don't get that. And I don't, I don't get why more people are not, not emphasizing just the bread and butter aspects of this policy, how, how, it's raising the price of bread and butter and toys mm-hmm. and every other thing. And um, simultaneous to the Chinese retaliating against the U.S. by raising tariffs on us, they're, they're lowering tariffs on other rich countries. So they're specifically reducing tariffs on European products while raising tariffs on the U.S. So the chance that this ends up badly for us, I think is pretty high. Now, it's not to say that it's going to end up well for China. Like I said, full-blown trade war between two biggest economies is definitely going to hurt them both. Right, but they're not the only two economies in the world. Essentially, you know, even if you, if we were if we were the only two countries in the world and you had a war that hurt both countries, maybe hurt the other guy more, you could. I, I still would think that would be a bad idea, but you could see some argument for it if you if have a zero-sum game. But when we have 100-plus economies, um, all the, the other countries benefit when we both hurt one another. Yeah. All you got to do is look, look at it. American farmers, we're in a big dispute about soybeans. This is the greatest thing that ever happened to soybean growers in Brazil is that Trump started a trade war. With China, because China still wants the soybeans, but they're just going to buy them from someone else, and uh, and you're seeing that play out in in a lot of industries. And if I thought that this was a well thought through strategy to achieve something, uh, maybe maybe it would be easier to deal with. But I kind of think. If you just look at the actions of the last couple of weeks, it's pretty obvious this isn't a well thought through strategy. You know, if the president's getting up and saying, I hereby order all private companies in the United States to stop doing business with China. Um, that that not that like a very well thought through statement. And it would, I mean, like, what do you, what, what do you make of that? What do you do with that? <laughs> it, it, the best that can be said of it um, is that the president's defenders are saying effectively, we'll pay no attention to what the president of the United States is saying on Twitter. He's, he didn't, he didn't really mean it that way. Okay. But that's the best, that's the best explanation is just don't listen to what the president is, is saying. I mean that, that that that's not a that's not a world I I understand from having when when I'm working in the White House or when I'm observing the the previous administrations there's unbelievable care being paid to the words that come out of the president's mouth and the statements that come out of the White House because everybody takes that seriously so the the argument that like well just don't take seriously what the president says I, I, where, where are we? What are we doing? I mean, what, what planet are we on? 
Well, you mentioned a few moments ago, you asked, you know, why aren't more people upset about this? And there does seem to be this sense that, and I, and again, Renato and I mentioned this before we, we brought you on, uh, and including one of our followers on social media, Brian says, the economy is fantastic. My investment accounts are exploding. American funds. And it seems as though there are people who feel that whatever he says, whatever the fallout is, as long as their 401k or their investments look good, they're happy with this. Maybe, but if by that logic, those people should have been thrilled with President Obama because the stock market from the depths of the crisis to the end of the Obama administration, the stock market was up, was almost tripled, I think. Um, but the, 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 to me, statements like that just go to the, the hyper-partisanization of everything. That that has happened, including the now the the economic data is is partisanized, you know. So so we're going to argue about factual factual information like how many jobs were created this year. Um, you think that would be we we could all just agree on what the job numbers are, what were they in 2015, what were they in 2016, 2017, but we can't. It, it turns into a partisan battle again. So the people who say my 401k is doing great, then let's say their 401k starts doing not great. Let's say we have some more days like the 620 point drop because because the president threatened a trade war. Will they then say, I was wrong, the president is harming on my 401k, and therefore I don't support him? I think unlikely. I think then they will just say, uh, well, but what about the president trying to be tough with China? You know, that's a, we should be tough with China, and that's a good in and of itself. So I don't know if we can any longer take the words of the arguments, you know, the, whether it was the mm -hmm. deficit and they, if it, people are going to jump on President Obama because the deficit went up, which, of course, if you looked at it, the deficit went up because we had a, the worst recession of our lifetimes. And the, he then spent the first term cutting the deficit. And by the time he leaves, it's been cut more than in half from what from what he inherited. Under heavy pressure about that, there's a total about facing once there's a Republican in in office and they pass a two trillion dollar tax cut unpaid for uh, that about facing we see in a in a bunch of areas so i don't i don't know yes there are people saying exactly what you said well my 401k is still up since donald trump took office therefore i endorse him but i don't really think it's about that i think it's it's about there's a group of people who they support the president they think he's done a great job they love his tax cut they love his attitude they love they love whatever he says, whatever he does, they will justify it. There is a group of people who cannot stand the president, and whatever he is, says, whatever he does, they will oppose him. And then there's a group of, of people who are just trying to lay low, and they don't want to get in the middle of it. And a lot of those people are not very politically oriented, and 
the question of the 2020 election in some sense is how how motivated are those two bases and how motivated and what do they think of that of that group in the middle that's just kind of sitting there and saying what happened you know, one thing that you mentioned earlier, uh, Professor, is, is the tariffs and sort of the impact they have on, on average Americans. And one thing it seems to me about tariffs is that they're essentially an invisible tax. In other words, when we pay our income taxes or U.S. sales tax, people get some sheet of paper that says this is how much tax you've paid. It's not the, the same way with tariffs. They're a regressive tax. Usually it's not like yachts are being – there's tariffs on yachts and gold bars. There There's tariffs on things that – that ultimately all of us end up buying. And it's not like that we get a line item that says you paid X amount of dollars this week or this month because of a tariff. Yeah, I think there's an insight. I think that's an insight um, that tariffs are kind of indirect taxes. And so they go into the prices of things. So you, so you, you don't immediately see, oh, that's the tariff that's doing it. Um, And it's not like a sales tax where, it costs 99 cents, and then they say, with tax, that's now a $1.07. And you go, what? I didn't, I didn't want to pay that. Um, and that's especially true of tariffs on supplies and intermediate goods. You know, So if you, you're putting tariffs on steel, that's going into the price of everything that uses steel, but it's definitely not an obvious in-your-face um, price. And given that so much of the economy is services and things that are not coming from abroad anyway, you can simultaneously have two things happening that seem to be contradictory. One is everything they put a tariff on, the prices that go up by the full amount of the tariff. So it means the American consumer is paying it. And most of the economy is not imported and is services and has nothing to do with that. So inflation can be quite low overall in the economy. And the, the Fed can be arguing about how do we get inflation up at the same time tariffs are driving up prices excessively. Um, and that is, that's where we are. I mean, both, both of those things are true. If you go look at, at whatever, health care, education, financial services, real estate agents, you know, cleaning services, all of these serious services that are not imported goods and there's not, uh, there's not tariffs on them. The inflation rate overall in the economy is pretty modest. But it's still the case that the tariffs were a dumb idea and that the entire amount of the tariffs are being paid by, by the American people. Before we go, one one thing I think a lot of people listening to this uh, probably are, are a little now a little alarmed about our economy. What do you expect going forward? What what the the people listening to this want to know? Sort of what does this mean for them and for the economy that they're going to be living and experiencing? Well, but the first thing everybody can can agree on is recessions are horrible. Um, so nobody should root for a recession to teach a political lesson and nobody should think that recessions are mild and nothing. And, and if we have one, it'll, it'll be okay. They don't have to be as bad as the recession of 2007, eight, nine, um, to be bad. The 1991 
was what roiled the politics of the country. 2001, um, also really uh, roiling, upsetting. And uh, so if something happens that leads us into a recession, destroys business confidence, so then investment goes down, destroys consumer confidence, so consumer spending goes down, or otherwise lead us on that track, um, it's not going to be a fun, it's not going to be a fun period. A, you might have to pay higher prices, et cetera, but, but millions of people are going to be out of work and you're going to see the deficit explode and you're going to see conditions feel a lot nastier than, than they are now. And I think that there's a high risk that that happens even within this coming year. And especially so if we keep pressing on this lever of trade war. I think that's that can do the double whammy of freaking out businesses who might otherwise be wanting to invest and freaking out consumers who might otherwise be wanting to spend. And it, it could put this longest recovery in in the history of the data, which we're in now, could put that in jeopardy. Let's hope that doesn't happen. For it not to happen, I think that the president has got to get off. He's got to back down from this twin towers attacking the Fed and attacking China and plus the assist of attacking everybody else. And it's like I say, this is just the old gunfighter's credo of don't pick seven fights if all you have is a six shooter. And, you know, we're going to pick seven, eight, 14 different fights simultaneously. I I think for the average person, um, it would look like a slowdown of growth, a higher chance that you lose your job, the cost of a bunch of things you buy going up simultaneously with that, um, and that kind of stagflation-y uh, feeling has ne- that that's never been good. Whenever we have that um, happen in the U.S., people are really dissatisfied. I hope that doesn't happen, and, I, and I'm very thankful to you, Professor. Thank you for teaching us so much. Uh, this is better than my freshman year economics. Yeah, guys, this was a, this was a great deep conversation about a, about a bunch of important stuff. So if you go back to your economics class, you're going to get better than a D this time. I think so, too. (laughs) Appreciate that. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of On Topic. Please subscribe to this podcast, go to your app and review the podcast, and join us for our next episode. I'm Renato Mariotti. Until next time, let's stay on topic. (laughs) 